One of the most wonderful, yet the most challenging lines in the Lord's Prayer is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How does that statement set Christianity apart from Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Shinto, and many other world religions? Find out on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar, and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. This is the third episode in a series of teachings on the Lord's Prayer that wonderful prayer that Jesus gave to his followers. And it's a genius prayer. It's constructed in such a way that every single line establishes the Christian worldview in a very unique way as contrasted to other religions of the world. And there are over 4,000. Line by line, the uniqueness and the power of the Christian biblical worldview is established. And if you haven't heard the previous two episodes, I urge you to listen to them. But this one will stand on its own because we're dealing with just one line in the prayer. Now, let me go ahead and quote the entire prayer. I believe that will be a good foundation for us to start with. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous presentations that Jesus did out of the Gospels. And it's such a a beautiful, heart-touching prayer. I would urge you to pray it and to petition God yourself using this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And some versions just say deliver us from evil, as opposed to deliver us from the evil one. Well, which of the lines do we need to focus on on this particular episode? The most wonderful line and the most challenging line. The one that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The most wonderful because receiving forgiveness from God is the miracle of Christianity. And extending forgiveness to others is sometimes one of the biggest challenges we face in life. So it's one of the most wonderful and challenging lines simultaneously. Why is the word debts used? I believe for several reasons. One primary reason, because whenever we sin, we sin either against God or against fellow human beings. And if we do, a debt is incurred. 
because if we hurt other people or if we disobey God, we rob them. We rob God of his rightful position of authority in our lives. And we rob people of things like peace and joy and contentment and mental stability. And if we hurt them and damage them in some way, we rob them of that peace. We rob them of that joy. And we've got to return it to be right with God ourselves. But you can't always return to someone that that you've taken in an exactly balanced way. And so the way around that is when people have damaged you, you forgive them. And if you release them from that indebtedness to you, then God's willing to release you from your indebtedness to him and to others. It really works. It's really true. And it's a very important thing. We owed a debt we could not pay. There's an old song that has that line in it. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ because in Christianity, that debt was dealt with on the cross. Jesus, the Bible says, became sin for all of us. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, the Bible said. He tasted death for every man because death is the outcome of sin, ultimately. Mental death, emotional death, spiritual death, and physical death. And because Jesus took our place, then when we go to him in prayer, when we present our needs to him when we go to the Father in prayer and we say, oh, forgive me, Father. We have a legal basis for expecting that forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the hinge that that door of opportunity turns on is whether or not we're willing to forgive others. And I'll give you some more scriptures in just a little while that really solidifies that statement and undergirds it even more. But what about this word debt? Why is that used in this line? I think it's interesting to see and important to see that very few translations translate it a different way. There are a couple, like the complete Jewish Bible says, forgive us what we have done wrong as we too have forgiven those who have wronged us. And that is in an extended kind of way, the essence of what is being communicated, but it doesn't really capture the original Greek because the word translated debt there is only translated debt. It's the only way it is rendered in the New Testament. And it's ophelema. And ophelema is only uh, meaning uh, it only has one meaning, and that is the meaning of debt. And so you can't really bend it to say something else. I owe a debt. It has to be paid. But Jesus paid it in my behalf. That's the crux of Christianity. That's the miracle of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But how does that compare to other world religions? How do they approach this whole concept of forgiveness? Let's go through some of them. Now, I do want to mention a branch of Christianity that I spent a period of time in my life 
involved in, and that's Catholicism. I was a very fervent Catholic. I was an altar boy. At one point, I was on my way to the monastery prior to uh, really getting solidly founded in a biblical Christian worldview. And in Catholicism, they teach that in order to receive that forgiveness, you have to go through a priest. Now, that from the get-go, from the beginning, is non-biblical because the Bible teaches that all born-again believers are priests. We are all a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2.5. We're all a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9. And there's numerous other scriptures. And the word priest simply means one who has access into the presence of God. But in Catholicism, you have an exclusive priesthood. And it is taught that in order to be forgiven, you have to go to confessional, and you've got to spill the beans, so to speak, and tell all the sins you've committed to the priest so that he can grant you absolution. And that simply means to absolve your sins, to wipe them away or out of existence. And of course, Catholic priests don't claim to be the source of that forgiveness. They claim to be the managers of the forgiveness that comes from the true source, and that is God. But they do claim to have the authority to pardon you of your sins. Now, I believe now, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and many other biblical verses, that I can go to God directly. That verse says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think it's kind of interesting that during the recent pandemic, the Pope released a statement that because Catholics could not go to their churches, they could go to God directly to be forgiven of their sins. I threw up my hands and said, why hasn't that been the case all along? Because the Bible teaches that. Now let's go to other world religions. Let's start with Islam. Islam is closer to Christianity because they have a concept of God that is similar to Christianity, but not the same. So you can't blend the two together. However, Muhammad taught that Allah is merciful and that he will forgive those who repent. He also taught that everyone remains in the grave until the judgment day. And that grave is like a miniature hell for the wicked and a miniature paradise for the righteous. But that there's no real assurance of which direction you're going to go. There's no guidelines in Islam where if you do this and this and this, you can be assured that your sins are forgiven. In the Bible, you do have those guidelines and you do have that assurance. That's why that wonderfully popular song was written many years ago, Blessed Assurance, because I am certain my sins are gone. Even Muhammad admitted that he did not know for sure what would happen to him on Judgment Day. And if the leader of the religion is unsure and has no assurance that his sins are forgiven, then I would not follow that religion, I guarantee you. You need to follow a religion where that assurance can be yours. Now, in Hinduism, you have something completely different. There's no real 
strong concept of forgiveness coming from God in Hinduism. And the primary branch of Hinduism, which is Advaita Vedanta Hinduism, that's the type of Hinduism that believes that on an ultimate level, Brahman, which is just an impersonal life force that flows through all the universe, if, uh, the, the force of life that is in every tree, every plant, every flower, every animal, that's Brahman and every human being. Yet it, it's an impersonal life force. So you don't, you don't go to Brahman in prayer expecting a response because you won't get it. It's just a, a life force, a level of consciousness. It's an it, not a he, not a person that you appeal to. So how do you deal with transgressions or evil or wickedness or errors in Hinduism, uh, an inexorable law called the law of karma. And that simply says that whatever you do to other human beings, it's going to come back to you tit for tat. If you harm someone in some way, karma is going to kick into gear and it's going to come back. And that's what locks you in the cycle of rebirth, because if you can't perfect yourself as a human being, you're constantly sowing negative karma that has to be paid off. Now, there are some things provided in Hinduism to wipe out karmic debt. And incidentally, it is referred to as a debt, just like the wording Jesus used. And yet, there's no no way of dealing with it successfully as Jesus provided. But there are some things in Hinduism that are supposed to be really powerful ways of dealing with this karmic debt, like washing in the river Ganges right before you die. It's supposed to enable you to go directly back to Godhead without being trapped in in all this negative karma you've built up in your life. But washing in a river is not going to do that. A river has no power to bring that to pass, nor any of the other things they offer in Hinduism. What, what about Jainism? In Jainism, which is another religion based in India, they do not seek forgiveness from God. Now, this is very interesting. Very interesting what I'm about to share with you because there's no supreme being in Jainism. They don't have a concept of a creator God. But they do believe strongly in something called nonviolence. In fact, the symbol of the religion is an open palm like this with the word, of course, in another language that means ahimsa, which is a word meaning nonviolence. And so in Jainism, even though they don't seek forgiveness from God, because they have no concept of God, they seek forgiveness from plants, from insects, and from animals that they feel like they have knowingly or unknowingly harmed. In fact, they have a lengthy festival that's eight or ten days long that's dedicated to forgiveness, and it's called Pariyashuna. And, and Pariyashuna uh, is this festival where they present these petitions of forgiveness again to plants 
or insects or animals, such as, and I hope I can pronounce these words right, mekami dugadom, uh, which uh, is a, a prayer for forgiveness from these parts of creation. Or utam shama uh, is uh, the basic meaning of it is if I have caused you offense in any way, knowingly or unknowingly, in thought or deed, then I seek your forgiveness. Why would you seek forgiveness from a plant that you may have accidentally trampled or an insect that you accidentally killed or knowingly killed and not go to God for forgiveness? That's very curious. All right, what about Shinto, which is the ancient Japanese religion? How do Shintoists deal with with what we as Bible believers would call sin. They might have different terms for it, errors or um, evil deeds. How do they deal with it? They believe in the symbolic value of personal cleanliness. And so they typically bathe or wash their hands or even rinse their mouths before entering a shrine that is dedicated to a deity. And there's numerous deities in the Shinto religion called Kami, K-A-M-I. And before they go into a shrine, they'll wash themselves or do these various things to cleanse themselves of dirtiness. And the, the word in their language is kagare. And it's kind of a ritual way of gaining purity back after you've gone through something impure in your life. The opposite of this impurity is kiame, and that is a pure status. Sin does not require forgiveness from the gods, however, the kami. Rather, sin is a state that causes discomfort for the person who commits it. And so a sinner can restore that sense of commitment by going through these purification rituals where they're delivered from this dirtiness of soul. You need God to intervene for you and not just washing your hands or bathing your body. Buddhists see forgiveness as something very important that they do along with meditation. And they believe it's necessary in order to achieve inner peace right thinking, and to escape suffering, which is necessary to attain something they call nirvana. And you can't escape suffering if you haven't dealt with this idea of forgiveness. However, it's more so forgiveness toward others than it is receiving forgiveness from a supreme being because they have no concept of a supreme being. Buddhism is basically atheistic. However, they do feel that forgiveness is necessary in relationships with others and that you've got to rise above that. You've got to release people from their, the ways they've hurt you in order to climb up to higher states of consciousness. In Taoism, the ancient Chinese religion, forgiveness is something you give yourself. You're the author of it. You give yourself forgiveness. Well, I'm sure we all have to forgive ourselves 
because sometimes we're harder on ourselves than we are on other people. Sometimes we're more prone, quicker to forgive others than we would ever be toward ourselves. We tend to hammer ourselves over the faults and failures of our past. However, you can't stop there. You can't just forgive yourself and resolve the issues. You've got to connect with God so that that flow of forgiveness can be from heaven toward you and from you toward others. And then you can release others as well from the things they've done against you. Theosophy, the Theosophical Society, was the main group many years ago that ushered new age concepts into our culture, our Western culture. And Helena Blavatsky, who was the founder of the Theosophical Society, insisted that ideas like I've been sharing concerning the biblical basis for receiving forgiveness, she says such beliefs are dangerous dogma and that in all reality, every ego becomes its own savior. Hmm. When asked if God can forgive sin, Blavatsky answered, this is what Christianity teaches and this is what we combat. She also rejected the notion that God's mercy is boundless and unfathomable. She said, human beings do not need mercy, they need enlightenment. Well, that's a basic New Age idea. In fact, there's a very, very popular New Age book called A Course in Miracles, and weaving its way through that entire book is this concept of forgiveness over and over again, and yet it's totally different than the biblical presentation. Helen Schuchman was the person that wrote A Course in Miracles, and sometime I'm going to do a whole podcast just on that book. And I'm quoting from her writing. She said, The crucifixion had no part in the atonement. Instead, when we forgive ourselves and when we receive forgiveness from fellow human beings or when we extend forgiveness to others, we are participating in and perpetuating the atonement. Forgiveness is for God and toward God, but not of him. It is impossible to think of anything he created that could need forgiveness. What a mind-blowing statement that was. Then she went on to say, forgiveness then is an illusion. It's a kind of happy fiction a way in which the unknowing bridged the gap between their perception and the truth. So once again, they reduced forgiveness to something that is basically just horizontal, between human beings, but not vertical, not from God to us. It's an act of worshipfulness toward God to forgive others in her particular way of looking at it. But, uh, that the atonement is perpetuated when we forgive ourselves and when we forgive others, but we don't need forgiveness from God. She said, to me, the most outlandish thing is that it is impossible to think of anything he created that could need forgiveness. Think of the most wicked, evil people that have ever lived, and then see if you can make that statement. I don't think that's logical at all. Another worldview or religion that we want to highlight in this episode is the United Church of Religious Science. 
the founder being Dr. Ernest Holmes. And this is part of a group, uh, a group of different spiritualities that were offered around the same time that are part of the New Thought Movement. And that, that's something you should research if you're interested in it. The New Thought Movement includes groups like the Unity Church or Science of Mind. There's a lot of modern offshoots, like, for instance, Della Reese had a church when she was alive in Los Angeles called the Up Church. And she was the chief actor in a series of television programs called Touched by an Angel. And in uh, her particular worldview, her belief system was based on the idea that the human mind is an expression of the universal mind. And uh, that's what uh, the uh, Church of Religious Science teaches too. And the universe is the physical manifestation of the universal mind, and we are all part of that manifestation. And Dr. Ernest Holmes published his beliefs in a book called The Science of Mind in 1926. And listen to what he said about forgiveness. We have tried to show that there is no sin but a mistake and no punishment but a consequence, the law of cause and effect. Sin is merely missing the mark. God does not punish sin. As we correct our mistakes, we forgive our own sins. True salvation, another quote, true salvation comes only through true enlightenment, through a more conscious and more complete union of our lives with the invisible. Dr. Holmes also offered when any individual recognizes his true union with the infinite, he automatically becomes the Christ. So he taught that we can be on the same level as Jesus and that we are on the same level as Jesus. He demotes Jesus to the level of a human being that attained enlightenment and exalts human beings to the level of being able to attain a status of being deities or gods and goddesses fully awakened to their divinity. And he says, as we correct our mistakes, we forgive our own sins. So there's no petitioning of God. I went to Della Reese's church, for instance, many years ago to give her a copy of my book in search of the true light. And I did, and she received it. And uh, I was quite amazed. The worship service was like a Pentecostal charismatic worship service, very jubilant, very expressive. There was a lot of emotion, a lot of intensity in the music, and a lot of spontaneity in worship. But then the speaker got up to speak, and it was very apparent that Jesus was not the source of salvation. No longer was the cross even important anymore, but Jesus became a way-shower that showed us how to awaken our own divinity. And I thought, how close they are, yet how far away from the truth, because they don't recognize the key to forgiveness— which is the cross. You cannot get away from that. But the second key to forgiveness is extending it to others. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus added these statements, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So both are necessary. 
Yes, it's very necessary to forgive others, and it's very necessary to receive forgiveness from God. And these are two complementary parts of forgiveness that are necessary to blend together. Well, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Maybe up to seven times? He thought he was being generous. And Jesus said to him, I do not say up to seven times, but 70 times seven, which is 490 times. You go ahead and multiply 24 hours in a day by 60 minutes, and you'll come up with the number of minutes in a day. And then divide that by 490, and you'll find out somebody's got to be committed to offending you all day long, every few minutes, and then asking for forgiveness for that to be fulfilled. Now, did Jesus mean that literally? Of course not. But he was trying to show that we have to have a willingness to have abundant forgiveness. I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I can overcome everything that I need to overcome to extend that kind of abundant forgiveness to others. And yet in the parable of the unforgiving servant, the last line, and you ought to read it, it's Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, that Jesus was inspired to give in response to what Peter asked. You should read it. But at the very end, he said, so shall my heavenly father also do to you. If each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And to really get the full gist of that, you've got to read the whole parable. And again, that's Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. But the part that I wanted to get across to you is Jesus said, you've got to do it not just from your mind. It's easy to say, oh, I forgive them as a decision you make in your mind. You've got to do it from your heart. And that balances it out so that you can receive all that forgiveness you need from him. That's one line in the Lord's Prayer and a very important one to implement. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.